You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. When prices are soaring, it's more important than ever to check in with your investments and make sure your money is working for you. Discuss strategies for tackling all of life's rising costs with a complimentary wealth checkup. Schedule yours today at planefe.com slash hermoney or by calling 833-304-PLAN. Hi, everyone. I'm Jean Chatsky. Thank you so much for joining us today on Her Money. We've got a special episode lined up for all of you. You have been sending us your questions about going through divorce. And today we're going to answer them because you don't have to go through it alone. Divorce can be an intense and exhausting process, as I know from personal experience. It can be especially hard on women and their finances. On average, women who go through divorce experience a 27% decline in their standard of living, while men actually see their standards of living rise by 10%. That's according to a study from the Social Science Research Council. And all of that, of course, is because of the gender wage gap and the time that women spend out of the workforce, either caring for their kids, sometimes caring for older parents. Moms are three times as likely to be full-time stay-at-home parents even today than dads are, according to the Pew Research Center. And the older you get, the more divorce is likely to impact your financial situation and especially your retirement. Women 50 and older, and we are seeing a big boom in what's called gray divorce among the 50 plus contingent, women 50 and older see their standard of living fall by as much as 45% after divorce compared to a 21% drop for older men. That's why it's so important to gather as much information and support as you can going into the process. And that's what we hope to be able to do today. Joining me to tackle your questions, we've got Rhonda Nordyke. She is a certified divorce financial analyst who helps women navigate all the financial aspects of the divorce process and come out the other side with renewed confidence. She is the founder and CEO of the Women's Financial Wellness Center, which provides private consultations and classes for women considering or going through divorce. And she is also the host of the podcast, Divorce Conversations for Women. Rhonda, nice to see you. Hey, Jean, thank you so much for having me today. Of course. Before we dig into our questions, I'd love to hear just a little bit more about your experience and the most common challenges that you've seen your clients face when going through divorce. Yeah, absolutely. Well, you know, in your introduction, right, you shared exactly the reason why my company exists. 
Every single day, I am working with women that are contemplating or going through divorce. And I think that the biggest challenge for most of them is they don't know what they don't know. They're feeling overwhelmed around the money and the finances. Maybe they haven't handled the finances in years, sometimes even decades. And I know that you see this from the work that you do as well. And they're feeling a little bit beat down. You know what I mean? Like it's, it is time for renewed confidence for them. And yet at the same time, I think women really are seeking and longing for education One of the things I remember from when I was in the financial industry is we would do women's events and workshops. And a lot of times the women would come and they'd be so eager to learn. And then they'd go back home and their husband would say, oh, don't worry about it. We've got a guy. Or why are you even asking these questions? And, you know, at some point they just stop asking the questions. And so as they're going through the divorce process or considering, they now have to kind of like flex that muscle of, questions are good. The only way we get the right answers (laughs) is to ask the questions and there's no stupid question. I know a lot of times the women I talk to, they'll say, Rhonda, I'm really smart. I'm like, we don't have to have this conversation. No question. There's no debate on whether you're smart enough to go through, you know, some of these things. It's a matter of having the right knowledge, the right experience to build that confidence, right? There was a prudential study, a longitudinal study from 2000 to 2010. Mm -hmm. And what they found was really, we could summarize it. The formula for confidence is knowledge plus experience. And if we have the knowledge without the experience, it's theory. And if we have the experience without the knowledge, it's trial and error. But when we get the two of them to work in together in synchrony, (laughs) it's amazing. It is. And I can cop to what your clients told you, right? I mean, I certainly know my way around my personal finances, but going through a divorce and having to pull everything together in a very specific way was daunting. Right. And I relied on my accountant. I relied on my attorney. You know, I did a lot of it myself, but you don't feel super confident going through it. So I'm really happy that you're here to answer the questions. And if it's okay with you, we'll just jump right in. Yeah, let's do it. First question comes from Meg. She writes, it looks like I'll be filing for divorce soon. Without going through all the details, I would love your opinion on paying for an attorney. I have a wonderful friend who is an attorney. Give me advice on which attorney to choose, so I'm good there. But I'm wondering how to pay. I already moved half our cash on hand to my personal account, about $10,000. Should I use some of my $10,000 to pay for an attorney's retainer or should I charge it to a credit card? I have excellent credit, so it's an option. I'm going to be moving in temporarily with a family member and will also have my child with me. I can handle my day-to-day living expenses without dipping into this money, but I hesitate to use it in case I really need it later. Custody will not be an issue, but we do jointly own some large assets real estate-wise. I'm hoping for a smooth split, but my spouse is going to be furious, and I wouldn't be surprised if he drags things out, so I'm not sure how much the divorce will ultimately cost. (sighs) I got to take a deep breath on these, right? Because there's so much going on, but... Um, The first thing I would say, I always like to start with something positive, right? First of all, yay. Congrats that you know, Meg, what your day-to-day expenses are, right? Like that is foundational as you're making some of these decisions. Secondly, the fact that you have moved some liquid assets into, you know, an account where you have access to, again, another great move. And lastly, you've got great credit. So you've got a lot of good things going for you. What I wanted to do is just say a couple things. One is, You know, certainly this is a personal decision on what to do, right? 
But my thought is having a credit card to be able to pay the initial attorney retainer is probably a good move. Keeping the cash reserve handy in case you need it. You know that you don't necessarily need it right now for day-to-day expenses, but there's a lot of uncertainty as people are going through the divorce process, expenses that pop up that you might not expect. And so my thought would be put it on the credit card. However, there are a couple things that you want to keep in mind. First of all, you want to make sure that you have a way to monitor your credit proactively. One of my favorite tools and apps is Credit Karma, but there's several out there. Um, So you can just stay and have a pulse on what's going on. So you can see if you do pay it on the credit card, how does that actually impact your credit? Oh, it took a little bit of blip, but I know why it happened, right? In addition, you want to be able to also think about your initial retainer fee that you pay the attorney is just that, an initial retainer. Right now, it seems like hopefully things will be somewhat amicable, but if it goes off of the rails, where are the additional funds going to come from? Typically, the attorneys will pay the retainer, use that money to pay as they earn it, right? But then also, after that's depleted, they will either A, ask for another full retainer amount, or they may convert to an hourly billing. My suggestion with that would be to say, hey, listen, can we come up with, I'm approving X amount of dollars each month for you to work on my case. And if we start bumping up against that, can you can you flag me and let me know and we'll decide, right? I think what happens a lot of times is people call their attorneys, they email them, they get charged for everything and all of a sudden they get a bill and it's like, oh my gosh, now I've depleted not only my credit card, but my cash and now what do I do? So just being proactive on expectations. But I did also want to just keep two other things in mind. I love the fact that you're considering using credit. I know that a lot of times it creates anxiety for people, but it was in 1974, right? Like even before I was born, that women were allowed to be able to apply for and own their own credit cards. And I think a lot of times women shy away from that. It's a great tool as long as you have, you know, the expectation on how to use it. And I would just add to that, Meg, ask for an estimate of what this is going to cost and then come up with a game plan for how you are going to pay off this credit card. With interest rates rising, we don't want you to get saddled with debt that lingers for years. So you may want to, since you've got good credit, look into whether there is a card that you could get with a teaser interest rate that is somewhere in the low single digits or even zero for a year so that you could carry this debt without having to worry about it. Just keep your eyes on the clock because when that teaser rate is up, if you haven't paid off the debt, often you are charged interest on the whole thing. So just read the fine print, but really good advice. And I do think you have to keep some powder dry and maybe when you split up those real estate assets, you'll have enough money to replenish your emergency funds, pay off the credit card and and go from there. Yeah, absolutely. Next question comes from Laura. I am going through a rough divorce. My marriage has been one with financial control over me. I've been primarily a stay-at-home mom for 17 years. I do have a small business. Unfortunately, my husband is not being trustworthy or completely transparent. We've already caught him doctoring bank statements. According to his attorney, this was an accident and he sent the wrong one. He opened up a crypto account and invested after being served and hid it from CIS until I discovered it. He let my health insurance lapse for a month and lastly prematurely changed the kids over to be beneficiaries to his work 401k and life insurance. All have been rectified with letters sent. 
My goal is to keep my three teens in their childhood home. I inherited it before meeting him and added him to the house and refied together. His goal is to never see me in it, not even thinking about the kids. Says they'll be fine in two new homes. They have no idea what's going on behind the scenes, of course, but it breaks my heart that he is so hell-bent on making them leave when, of course, they want to stay. He's trying to waste away funds that would be part of the settlement attorney fees and happily doing so. I would love to take the home without touching his 401k. He said that the 401k will be less than the value because we have to account for what those accounts will be and the tax implications he'll endure if he goes to sell them to buy a house. Is that true? I can't just say you keep 150000 of your retirement. Is it true that I am responsible for the tax ramifications if he chooses to sell? My attorney seems to say so, but she said that we will have a number for what my tax implications will be if I choose to sell the house. Thanks for any advice and clarifications. It's a complicated one, Rhonda, because the attorney is right. When you split up assets in a divorce, you really do need to take all of the tax ramifications into account. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. I mean, there's a lot going on here. I think there's also some things that I want to just kind of spearhead with. And that is, you know, I know she mentioned, hey, I have a small business. Awesome, right? You know, that's always fantastic for just being able to navigate, you know, forward. But I would say her husband's operating what I call the damn method, which is they dodge the disclosure, they avoid getting assets valued, and they misrepresent information. And I think that's really important as you're looking forward as far as the history of what's going on leading up to her main question. The other thing that I would say is, Laura, I know that you mentioned that these situations have been rectified, right? All of the concerns that you had. But I would just say, ask for confirmation that there has been a resolution, I think that's really, really going to be important to avoid any additional unforeseen risks. So as far as the question goes, you know, I think it's really common for women to say, listen, can't I just keep the house and you keep your retirement and we part ways? And I probably one of the things that I hear the most is when women say that. So there's a couple things that we need to think about. First of all, what is the 401k actually worth and get actual statements because right now it's hearsay right on hey i think the retirement is you know not going to be worth xyz so make sure you've got actual statements the other question that i ended up writing down is what is the house actually worth and a lot of times people end up using zillow oh zillow says it's worth this for the purposes of divorce zillow is great for just getting a quick like hey you know i would just want to kind of see but for the divorce process we want to actually have a fair market value from a licensed real estate agent or an appraisal and i think again getting the actual data is going to help with this conversation furthermore the 401k is pre-tax so there does need to be some consideration for the tax aspect of that 401k My preference in helping people go through the divorce process is that we take a global look at the financials because when we start to do these piecemeal of things, it sounds good on the surface. Like, hey, I'll just keep the house, he can keep this, and we'll go our separate ways. But I would be remiss to not share a quick story. I had a woman that reached out that basically wanted to do this, and she didn't end up hiring me, unfortunately, but they did move forward with that plan. And she reached out a few months later and said, Rhonda, I really wish that I would have really looked at the numbers more in detail because I kept the house, 
I'm overextended, I don't have any retirement, and I'm going to have to claim bankruptcy. And that's you know worst case scenario, but it happens. So we got to make sure that we get all of the information. I totally agree with you. Look at everything you have on a piece of paper and ask the question, if you were able to stay in the house, how much is it going to cost in order for you to maintain that house by yourself on the income from your small business, as well as what does that do to your retirement? So you want to look at both of those things at the same time. And maybe there is some sort of an in-between solution where you can keep the house until your kids are out of school and agree with your soon-to-be ex-husband that you will sell it at that point and split the proceeds at that point. I've seen that done. We've got some more questions, Rhonda. So we are going to take a quick break. And when we get back, we'll dive into them. Her Money is proudly sponsored by Edelman Financial Engines. With the cost of everything on the rise, including healthcare, housing, college educations, and so much more, it's time to check in with your investments and make sure your money is working just as hard as you do. Because the best way to help make sure your money's there for you in retirement and whenever you need it most is to have a strategy for tackling all of life's rising costs. Visit planEFE.com slash hermoney to schedule your complimentary wealth checkup today. We are back with Rhonda Nordyke, Certified Divorce Financial Analyst and CEO of the Women's Financial Wellness Center. This question comes from Ashley. Ashley says, I'm newly separated and heading into mediation. I've been a stay-at-home mom with small part-time gigs for 19 years while I cared for my son with disabilities. It was a mutual decision. I gave up my full-time teaching job in the public school system. My question is this. At 52, I'm no spring chicken. By the way, Ashley, I'm 58, so I disagree. But I understand what you're saying. The teaching world has changed drastically. Landing a public school job has not led to any success as I've been applying for the last year in preparation for this day. I got a job teaching a three-year-old program. The pay is crap and won't pay the bills for long, but it does have insurance. Here's my question. Do I take this job to build credit, or is it better to keep looking while staying on the insurance of my spouse? I believe I can be there until the divorce is finalized. Is that true? My current credit score is very good, but I don't know if it would hold up to refinancing if I don't have a lot of credit to show. Not having had a hand in the finances for the household has left me blind as to what to do next. I'd love any and all advice. Rhonda, what do you think? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, it's always tricky, right, when you have been out of the workforce and you're entering back in again. But I would say I first want to address the health insurance. So each company handles that a little bit differently as far as the expiration date, if you will, of the coverage. Sometimes it's the date of the divorce itself, and sometimes it's the end of the month. They'll do kind of a final sweep. So you really just need to get more information as far as what that looks like. But you can stay on his plan until at least one of those two things happens. So I would encourage you to uh, take a look at your budget and determine right what income you need to have coming in. A lot of times it's helpful for people to just get started, right, while continuing to potentially look for another job. But the health insurance should be covered at least until the divorce is finalized. 
I'm with you. I would say take the job. If you've been looking for a year and this is what you've gotten, I'd take it and I'd keep looking. I think it's easier to get a job when you have a job. And I know there is a stigma against leaving a job that you haven't had very long, but you've been out of the workforce for a while. So you could leave, not even put it on your resume. It's not going to hurt you in the future. And the other thing to look at is what's the cost if you were not to take the job of getting health insurance on your own, either through COBRA, you can typically stay on your ex's plan for 18 months under the COBRA laws, or by just pricing out a plan for yourself on the exchange. Yeah, absolutely. And you know what, Jean, what's really interesting is actually a lot of times you can actually, as a result of divorce for COBRA, go up to 36 months. So that really could, I mean, so it's even more than if you left a job, which is awesome. But to your point, I love that because a lot of times people say, oh, I don't want to do COBRA because it's too expensive. And I say, well, how much is it? They say, I don't know. And I'm like, well, how about we get that information first? It's really, really important. And I know one of the things that Ashley also mentioned is just the refinancing and wanting to make sure that, you know, she's in a good place for that. And, you know, the lending space for people that are going through divorce, it's very specific. There's a lot of things that need to happen in order to make that possible. So I would just encourage you, Ashley, to seek out a certified divorce lending professional. These, and certainly if you want introductions, I'm connected to, you know, several of them that could help you. But at the end of the day, they're going to be able to back into what income you have to have coming in, you know, what challenges there may be and put you in a good position to know for sure if you can actually refinance or not, or what you need to do to put yourself in that good position. That's a new designation to me, Rhonda, and I thought I knew them all. A certified divorce lending professional. Is that a specific type of a mortgage broker? Yes. Yes. Okay. And and do they have an association or anything where you might be able to find one? Yes. So it's Certified Divorce Lending Professionals is an organization. And basically they work with, yeah, lending professionals to know all the ins and outs of getting a mortgage as you're going through divorce. And it's really important because a lot of times mortgage brokers will say, oh yeah, no problem. We can do it. And I've seen things go sideways because they don't actually know all the nuances of the divorce process. It's very, very specific and requires additional training in my opinion. And I would also say if you are a member of a credit union, if you're a customer at a community bank or have a relationship with your banker, this is something to talk to them about too. You know, as long as you are more than a number to these folks, often you can get some personal attention. Yes. Let's go to Sydney's question. She says, hello, can you explain prenups and who they're for? I'm in my 20s and in a serious relationship, but marriage is still many, many years away for me. I'm just thinking ahead. I've heard prenups are a good step to take during engagement, but are they really necessary if you and your partner don't have significant assets and don't make a lot of money? And what are all the different things you should include if you decide to get one? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Well, first of all, can we just say, I love that we're having this conversation and I love that you're asking the question, right? Most of the time clients use prenups if they have assets coming into the marriage. So that is where it's most common. So the whole concept of prenups is a detail of each person's rights to assets and responsibilities for debts if the marriage ends. However, I will say that, you know, it certainly can be part of 
a strategy to start having a conversation, right, with your potential spouse around finances and, you know, what your attitudes and beliefs around money are and all of those kinds of things. So it might essentially just kind of help facilitate having good conversation, whether or not you actually get a formal agreement in place. You want to make sure that you talk to an attorney in your state because it's very state specific I'll give a quick example, and that is I worked, so actually there was a woman who reached out a couple years ago, and she had not gotten married, right? She had been with this gentleman for 20 years. He owned a business. You know, they had a great lifestyle together, and they decided they were going to split up. And she said, Rhonda, you know, what can I do? And they didn't have a prenup. They didn't have a cohabitation agreement. They didn't have any of these things in place. And I sat there and I was like, it was the worst conversation because literally there was not a whole lot I could do to help her. She had, you know, invested, he had invested, but there was no formal agreement. So she ended up essentially leaving in her early 60s with very little assets because she hadn't really worked much. He owned a successful business and she really truly was starting over. And so there wasn't a lot in place to be able to help her. So the fact that you're thinking about these things, I think is absolutely fantastic. I agree. I mean, I don't always think that they're necessary for people who are young, starting out together, very level playing field. But as soon as you add children, a business, a potential inheritance to the mix, that is prenup city to me. (laughs) I love that. Before we get to our last question, let's take one more quick break. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey, you guys, it's Jean. I want to tell you about another podcast I think you'll love because I love it. Freakonomics Radio. Every week, host and best-selling author Stephen Dubner dives into the hidden side of business and economics and so much more. He interviews CEOs, historians, even Nobel laureates to explore all kinds of topics like whether AI has a sense of humor and whether two CEOs are better than one. If you are curious like me and just looking to better understand the world around you, you will find it on Freakonomics Radio. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. And we are back with Rhonda Nordyke. This question comes from Amber. She says, hi, I'm in my mid-40s and divorced. I sold my business and am retiring in a few weeks. My mortgage matures in 2024 and will be paid off at that time. In the summer, my partner and his nine-year-old son, he has 50% custody, are moving in. He has a great job, income, and pension. We plan to keep our finances separate. Given all this, I am curious about your experience with cohabitation agreements. We want to build an agreement that allows for some of the money he puts toward my home to give him ownership incrementally over time. Do you have experience with this? The value of the home is around $1.2 million. Also, how do I sort out what amount goes to ownership versus maintenance and upkeep? Anything about this and or about the cohabitation or other experiences with this sort of arrangement would be appreciated. P.S. I'm in Canada. Awesome. 
All right. So let's kick off by, I love we're having this question. <laughs> um, because cohabitation agreements, I'll be honest, I, Jean, I don't see them that often, right? I mean, I wish I saw them more because I think people go into these types of situations wanting the best intentions without really truly making sure that they're fully protected. So the cohabitation agreement really is, you know, unmarried couples generally have a right to create whatever living together contracts they want. I mean, it's kind of an open book. You'll definitely want to make sure that you talk to an attorney as you're kind of navigating through that, but it's kind of a blank slate on how you want to do that. My thought was the maintenance and upkeep, definitely you want to look at the budget and how you want to handle that. But the things that I would encourage you to keep in mind is, okay, what does it look like in the beginning, the agreement wise? What does it look like in the middle, right? As things are just kind of status quo. And when you get to the end, what does that look like, right? And making sure that you're thinking about the details. I think in these types of agreements, from my perspective, the more detail that you can put in, like how long, right? If you break up, do you have to pay out the equity? Where is that going to come from? Are you going to have to refinance? You know, what does that look like on the back end, I think is really, really important. And it can be hard to think about those things, right? But I think that is my thought on the cohabitation agreements. So I have a, a slightly different take on this one. And if you've been listening for a while, then you've heard my story about um, when I got divorced, I bought a house. And when my now husband moved into my house, I wouldn't let him buy in because I was petrified, quite honestly. And I did not want anybody, even this man I love like crazy, to be able to knock me off my heels and tell me that I had to move again. And so I would be careful here. And I might start a clock because living together, especially with a child, is very different than dating. I might start a clock where for the next, I don't know, three years, you all agree that you're going to take a certain amount of the money that he puts toward the house and just put it in an interest earning account. And it could be equivalent. Your lawyer can work on this. It could be equivalent to whatever percentage of the buy-in that you think is fair for him. But keep it on the side. Keep the house in your name. And don't until you know for sure that you are headed for posterity, whether that's marriage or it's not marriage, I'd be really careful. Yeah, absolutely. And it's interesting because one of the questions, Gene, that I wrote down as I was thinking through some of these questions was basically, why? And you addressed it. I mean, again, it's these are certainly really challenging things, but I'm like, okay, if the roles were reversed and the woman was the one who was moving into, right? Amber, if you were moving into his home, would he be as generous in wanting to give you ownership in a home, right? And I think there's two parts to it. There's the, okay, how are we going to handle it if we split up? But then there's also the title, like whose name is on title. And I 100% agree with you, Jean. Like that title needs to stay, Amber, in your name. You own the home. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's a tricky one, right? It is a tricky one. You need legal advice. I am not in Canada, so I'm not sure exactly how this works in Canada or if there are any differences. And my suggestion would be find a beach house or a mountain house that you both love. Let him buy that and have that in his name. And then you can have this wonderful life going back and forth. I love that. That's awesome. Thank you, Rhonda, for all of this wonderful advice. Thanks for doing this with us. Absolutely. Thank you so much for the opportunity. 
And thanks to all of you for joining me today on Her Money. We all should be thinking about these things, even if we have very strong relationships, because if it's not happening to us, it's happening to our friends or our siblings or our colleagues. And a little knowledge is a lot of power. If you like what you hear, I hope you'll subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper, and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll talk soon.